Well, hello, Friends Church. It is Pastor Chris here, and it is so good to be with you here this weekend. First of all, I hope everybody has had a great 4th of July weekend. I know it's probably a little bit different than most of the 4th of Julys that we've had, but hopefully in the midst of all the differentness, you got an opportunity just to celebrate our nation's freedom, and more than that, thank God for the freedom that he has given us here in this country. And I am so excited to be with you today, because today we get to continue our series thrive. But before we do that, I would love it if we could just bow our heads in a word of prayer and ask for God's blessing on our time together. So let's pray right now. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we come before you here today, Lord, uh, we just thank you again for this opportunity to gather together, Lord. And Father, as we open up your word now and see what it has to say to us, Father, I just pray that you would speak through me, God. I pray that the message you want to get across is a message that is received, Father. And I pray at the end of all of this, Lord, we would just get a bigger picture of who you are through your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we just give this time over to you, and we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles now and turn to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we find ourselves today, Philippians chapter 3. And as you turn there, as you find your place there, I want to begin here today by telling you a little bit of a story. And this is a story that I first heard a few years ago. And it's a story that actually comes out of the country of India. Now, I've had the opportunity to go to India a couple of times, once with our church and once with another church. And India, by far, is the most unique country that I've ever been to. And it's unique for a few reasons, but one of the reasons is there's, there's actually kind of an interesting animal population in some parts of India. And that is that you'll be driving around along the road, you'll be uh, walking around, and all of a sudden you'll see monkeys in certain places. India, some parts of India have little monkeys running around. And these monkeys are really adorable, but actually they can also be quite aggressive. In fact, in some tourist destinations in, in India, what you'll see is they'll have a sign up. And the sign warns you about these monkeys. And they will tell you under no circumstances whatsoever are you ever supposed to feed a monkey. Because if you do, all of a sudden you could be overwhelmed by a swarm of them. And they've actually been known to be quite aggressive and dangerous with travelers who are not aware of that. And so because India has these aggressive monkeys, at times they have to do things to control the population of them. And in some parts of India, they've actually come up with a very interesting sort of trap. And what they do is they get a jar, not unlike this jar I have right here. And it's a specially designed jar with an opening that, that allows a monkey to put his hand in, but just barely fit his hand in the opening of this jar. And what they do is they actually take one of a monkey's favorite food, they'll take a banana, and they'll put this banana in the jar, and then they'll go and put it in a place where they know some of the monkeys are. And they'll anchor this to the ground, and once they anchor this to the ground, then they sort of take a step back and they wait. And sure enough, after a couple of minutes, a monkey will come by and he will see his favorite food, and he will reach his hand in in order to grab the banana. But as he tries to take the banana out of this jar, he finds that he can't do it. You see, the jar is designed in such a way that a monkey can actually not take his hand out of the jar while holding on to the banana. And so as he is trying to get the banana out of the jar, what will happen is the person who set the trap will very calmly walk up to the monkey. He'll take a bag, he'll put it over the monkey, and at that point, the monkey is captured. At that point, the monkey is trapped. And that's how this particular trap works. And there's an interesting little detail about this trap, and maybe some of you have been able to pick up on it. And the interesting detail about this trap is that actually, at least initially, it's really easy for the monkey to get out of this trap. Because all he has to do is let go of the banana. 
And if he lets go out of the banana, he can get his hand out of the trap and then he can be on his way. But the deal is, most monkeys are unwilling to do that. They do not want to let go of the banana. And so by holding on to this banana, they end up losing their lives. By holding on to the banana, they end up losing what matters most. Ingenious little trap, isn't it? Now, why do I share that with you? Well, the reason I share that with you is because I want to suggest to you today that sometimes, sometimes we Christians aren't all that different from those monkeys holding that banana. Sometimes we don't act all that different from those monkeys grabbing on to that banana. Confused and maybe a little bit offended? Well, hopefully by the end of our time together, you'll see why I say that. Today, as I said, we are continuing this series, Thrive, that we have been in for a few weeks now. And in case you don't know, this series, Thrive, is all about lessons that we find from one of the most beloved books of the Bible, and that is the book of Philippians. And as others have shared, the book of Philippians was written by a man by the name of Paul, who was one of the early followers of Jesus and really one of the early leaders of the Christian faith. And Paul writes the book of Philippians during a very difficult time in his life. He writes it as he has been thrown in jail. He is imprisoned for his faith, for sharing and talking about Jesus. And I want to emphasize to you up front here just how far of a fall that that actually represented for the author of Philippians, for the Apostle Paul. I mean, truly, no exaggeration, the story of the life of Paul is one of the greatest riches-to-rag stories that we have ever. The story of Paul's life is one of the greatest falls from grace, as it were, as anybody has ever experienced. And in fact, we see a picture of that in the passage we're taking a look at today. I'm going to pick it up here in the middle of verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. And in these first couple of verses that I'm going to read right here, what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul describe his life before he became a Christian. He's going to describe his life before he met Christ. And some of you may know this, but before Paul became a Christian, he was a member of the Jewish faith. And what we're going to see in these couple of verses is we're going to see Paul talk about all that he achieved in the Jewish faith before he became a Christian. Philippians chapter 3, middle of verse 4, this is what Paul writes. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And here we see Paul talk about all that he had achieved in the Jewish faith before he became a Christian. And here's what I want to point out about these verses that we read. You know, probably for many of us, we hear those verses and it doesn't mean very much to us. We don't really connect with them. Maybe we don't even know what's going on there. But here's what I want you to understand. If you were a first century Jew, when you heard Paul say what he says here in Philippians chapter 3, after he said that, you would have sort of had to pick up your jaw from the floor. And the reason why is because as Paul talks about all that he achieved in the Jewish faith before he was a Christian, he really says that he had achieved everything that every Jewish person could ever hope for. There's actually a couple of things that Paul does for us in this passage that I just read. The first thing that Paul does for us is at the very beginning of this passage, he talks about how he had the perfect upbringing, he had the perfect pedigree, he had the perfect parents, in fact, in order to be a standout member of the Jewish faith. 
And this is what Paul talks about in verse 5 primarily. And in verse 5 of this passage, what Paul does is he lists three things that make him this standout in the Jewish faith that basically that he inherited, that was given to him from birth. The first thing that Paul says is this. In verse 5, at the beginning of verse 5, he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. And what that means is eight days after his birth, he was circumcised. And this is actually something that Paul's parents would have kind of provided for him. In the Old Testament law that Moses wrote down, it was required that if you were a good Jewish family, eight days after your birth, you had to take your son to be circumcised. And that's exactly what Paul's parents did for him. And so Paul's parents sort of followed the law for Paul from his earliest days. The second thing that Paul tells us is in the middle of this verse, he talks about how he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it wasn't just any tribe. It was actually one of the most prestigious tribes of Israel. It was actually the tribe that produced the very first king of Israel, from whom Paul probably got his name. Paul's original name was Saul. And so what Paul is saying here is he is saying that I was born into a very noble family tree. And then the third thing that Paul says is towards the end of verse 5 when he says that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. You see that there Paul says that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. And that actually probably refers to the language. One of the languages that Paul's parents taught him growing up. They made sure that Paul knew the Hebrew language. And just so you know, this really, really wasn't done as much in the first century. Most people didn't learn the Hebrew language anymore because the language of that day was Greek and Aramaic. But Paul's parents made sure not to follow the trends of the time. They wanted to make sure that their son Paul learned Hebrew primarily so that he could read the Old Testament, his Bible, in its original language. And so they made sure that he got a good Hebrew education. And when you put all of these things together, What Paul is saying is he is saying that he was sort of born with a silver spoon in his mouth in the very best meaning of that phrase. Paul is saying that he had the perfect upbringing, the perfect pedigree, the perfect parents, in fact, to be an ideal Jewish citizen. But that was actually only one half of the equation for Paul. And in verse 6, what Paul tells us is he tells us that he took everything that his parents gave him, this head start that his parents gave him, and he ran with it. And he made sure after this great head start that his parents gave him that he did everything that he could to be sort of the ideal member of the Jewish faith. Probably the most significant thing that Paul says is at the end of verse 6 when he says this. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And what Paul is saying there is he's saying, listen, I was an A-plus member of the Jewish faith. I did everything that God wanted me to do. I mean, Paul had really reached the height of Judaism. It does not get any better than this. And because of that, Paul was probably one of the most respected. He was one of the most admired men of his day. Wherever he went, there were doors that were opened up for him. Paul probably never had to wait very long, for example, at the hottest, swinkiest Jewish restaurants of the day. Because whenever he showed up, there was a a table with his name already on it. That's the reputation. That's the gravitas that Paul had. But then one day something happened. And what happened? Jesus, right? Jesus. On a dusty dirt road in the middle of nowhere, Paul encountered Jesus. Or maybe better said, Jesus encountered Paul. And Paul became a part of this new movement called Christianity. And in that day that Paul encountered Jesus, Paul's entire life got turned upside down. 
And everything that he talks about in verses 5 and 6, his upbringing, his pedigree, everything that he had worked his entire life to achieve in one singular moment, all of that was destroyed. And that is not an overstatement. In fact, listen to Paul in his own words. I'm going to pick it up here in verse 7. And listen to what Paul says about all that happened when he met Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And I want you to stop right there, and I want to look at that last phrase again. Look at what Paul says there. He says, For whose sake, meaning for Jesus' sake, he says, I have lost all things. You know what Paul's admitting there? He is admitting that the huge fall that he has taken in the eyes of the world since he encountered Christ. He is admitting the fact that in the eyes of his fellow Jewish and brother sisters before he became a Christian, he is admitting that in their eyes, he, 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 when he said yes to Jesus, he said no to everything that made him stand out. He said no to everything that made him special. He lost everything. Case in point, the circumstances surrounding the writing of this book. Listen, Paul would not have been thrown in jail if he had stayed in the Jewish faith. And yet here he is. But you want to know something? Paul being arrested is actually one of the least difficult things that Paul had to face after he became a Christian. In another chapter in the Bible, in another book of the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists some of the other things that has happened to him because of his faith in Jesus. And this list is very impressive in a very depressing sort of way. You can read it on your own. It starts in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And Paul talks about all these different things that happened to him. For example, he talks about because of his faith in Jesus, on five separate occasions, he was beaten by Jewish people with 39 lashes. He received 39 lashes on five separate occasions because of his faith in Jesus. He talks about how three times he was beaten with rods. He talks about how three times he was on a ship going somewhere, likely to share the gospel, and the ship actually capsized. It broke apart. Remind me never to go on a cruise with the Apostle Paul, right? He talks about how one time he was beaten with, with stones. He had stones thrown at him. And then in addition to all of that, he talks about how everywhere he goes, he fears for his life. He is in danger of being killed. That's all that happened to Paul because he put his faith in Jesus. And let me ask you this question. Imagine, imagine being Paul's mom and dad. Imagine being one of Paul's parents and seeing all that has happened to your son after you tried to do everything that you could to give him this great head start in life to see him throw it all away in order to follow some hippie who was killed on a cross. Or imagine being one of Paul's former classmates. Imagine seeing this former A-plus student, this honor student, become a disgrace. I mean, Paul was probably one of those kids that other parents compared you to in a disapproving way. Why can't you be more like Paul, they would say. Paul's parents must be so proud of him. And now you see this former honor student give it all away in order to join what seemed at the time like a crazy cult. I mean, when Paul said he lost all things for the sake of Jesus... He means he lost all things. In fact, as I was thinking about Paul this past week, I was thinking back to some of my favorite movies when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, my favorite movies were the original Superman movies with Christopher Reeves as Superman. And I used to watch those all the time. And often when I would watch them, I would wear my favorite pair of pajamas, which were my Superman ones, with the little Velcro on cape. 
And I used to make my mom do my hair in a little curl so I could actually look like Superman. And of the original Christopher Reeve movies, Superman movies, my favorite one was probably Superman 2. And in Superman 2, Superman and Lois Lane, they really sort of start to fall in love. But Superman realizes something. He realizes that he really can't be in a relationship with Lois Lane because of his superpowers. And so he does the unthinkable. He gives them up. He finds a way to relinquish his superpowers. Well, a little bit after that, he walks into a diner somewhere and he gets into a disagreement with a man in this diner and this guy is kind of a bully and so he punches Superman. And Superman has lost all his powers at this point and so Superman gets thrown into a pane of glass and when he's thrown into it, he breaks it and he gets a cut. And for the first time in his life, Superman bleeds. For the first time in his life, Superman feels real human pain. And there's this sort of realization in this moment of all that he has given up. And that's sort of what's going on with Paul here. When Paul became a Christian, he sort of lost all his superpowers. He lost everything that made him special. But it's at this point in our text, brothers and sisters, that it takes a little bit of an interesting turn. Because after Paul talks about the heights from which he fell, Paul says something else. I'm going to pick it up again in verse 7, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. And as I read this, I want you to just listen. And I want you to listen to all that Paul says he lost versus all that he says he gained when he became a Christian. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And do you hear what Paul says there? Probably the most striking word is the word garbage in the middle of verse 8. And some of you may know this is a very vivid word in the original Greek. And actually our English word garbage doesn't really get at the word that Paul uses here. The word that Paul uses here, it borders on the crude. It's a word that refers much more to what you scoop out of a litter box every night if you have a cat. Or it refers to what you pick up after a dog when you take it for a walk. That's what the word means, and hopefully you get what I'm saying by that. And what is it that Paul is calling garbage? It's everything he said in verses 5 and 6. It's his upbringing. It's his pedigree. It's the head start that his parents tried to provide for him. It's all that he had achieved in the Christian life. Paul says that all of that is now garbage, less than that, in fact. Now, how can Paul say that? Well, the reason why Paul can say that is because he knows that when he said yes to Jesus, he got the opportunity to enter into a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. Paul knows that when he said yes to Jesus, he was able to enter into a relationship with the only one who can fully satisfy, who can fully fulfill here in this life. And what Paul realizes is he realizes that when he lost everything to gain Christ, he didn't really lose anything at all. When he lost everything to gain Christ, he didn't really lose anything at all. And I find in that such an application for you and me. 
You know, I'll be honest with you, Friends Church. The past few months have probably been the most difficult months in recent memory for me personally. It's just been really tough, and I know that I'm not alone in that. It's been difficult for a whole lot of people. And I think a couple of weeks ago, I was finally able to pinpoint why this season has been so difficult. And the reason why is because this season has been a season of incredible loss. It's just been a season of loss. For me, the hardest thing has been the loss, honestly, of routine and predictability. Before all this stuff hit, my my life, man, it, it was so routine. And you know what? I love that. Because I always knew what was around the corner. I always knew what was to expect. And I love routine. But now all of a sudden, every day is different. Every week is different. I don't know what to expect next. And I don't like that. And along with that loss of routine has been a a lot of uncertainty. And so for me, what's been difficult is a loss of routine. For some people, what has been difficult in this season is the loss of a job, the loss of an income. The loss of togetherness, the loss of, of, of graduation ceremonies. There are some people for whom in this season it has been the loss of loved ones, literally. There are loved ones who have succumbed to this particular illness, and that is by far the greatest loss of all. But whatever way you slice it, this season has been a season of incredible loss. And I know something about us human beings. We don't like loss. It's hard. It's sad. And that's why often what we do is we do whatever we can to avoid loss in our lives. But one of the most difficult things about this season is we can't avoid it. It's just been thrust upon us. And so do you know what our natural reaction is when we experience loss in this life? Our natural reaction is to try and find something to fill that loss. To turn to something to try and fill that loss. Because there's a hole now and that hole has to be filled, right? And so all over the place, what you have is all these people who are turning to different things in order to fill that loss. Some people, a lot of people right now, are turning to TV and binge watching. I think there's one company for whom this season has not been difficult, and that's Netflix. They've had a pretty good season in all of this. There are some people, a lot of people, who have been turning to overindulgence, especially in the area of food. I think a lot of us, definitely myself included, have been fighting, you know, this quarantine 15 in the midst of all of it. Some people are turning to food. Some people are turning to alcohol. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the week after sort of all those stay-at-home orders were issued, alcohol sales in the United States rose 55% in one week. In one week, alcohol sales rose 55%. Some people are turning to alcohol. And then some people, honestly, a lot of people these days are turning to anger and they're turning to rage. And all over the place, people are turning to these different things in order to fill the loss that we have experienced in this season. And that's why I think Paul's words here are so instructive to us. Because here is a man, right? Here is a man who in one day, the day that he met Jesus, he lost probably more than any of us will lose in our entire lives. And yet despite the fact that he lost so much, Paul is able to genuinely say, I am more fulfilled, I am more satisfied, I am more joy-filled than I have ever been before in my life. Why? Because he found something that makes all that he lost look like garbage. He found something that more than fills the loss that he has experienced. And that is Jesus. And I want to ask you, can the same thing be said about alcohol? Can the same thing be said about TV? 
Can the same thing be said about anger and rage? Is that really making up for all of the loss that people have experienced in this season? We know the answer to that. The answer is no, of course it can't. So that raises a question. And the question is, even though we know that, why do we keep on falling for those things? Why do we keep on turning to those things? Well, it goes back to what I talked about at the beginning. Because sometimes, sometimes we don't act all that different than those monkeys with those bananas. And what we don't realize is that those things that we are holding on to, they're actually what's keeping us trapped. And those things that we are using to fill us are actually keeping us hungry. And that's why I really believe that this season continues to be sort of a gift to us. A gift? Yeah, a gift. Because it is causing us to really, really reevaluate what do we want our life to be about? What are we going to make our number one pursuit in this life? You know, one of the questions that I get asked sometimes as a pastor is people will say to me, you know, Chris, you pastors talk all the time about how Jesus is supposed to fulfill and satisfy and that sort of thing, but I've been following Jesus for X number of years and I'm still unsatisfied. Why is that? And that's a great question. And I think at least part of the answer to that is I think many of us, myself included, we've always been trying to follow Jesus and something. We want Jesus, yes, but we want Jesus and success. We want Jesus and a great reputation. We want Jesus and pleasure. We want Jesus and whatever it may be. And we're always trying to follow Jesus and something. But one of the things that the Bible makes clear, one of the things that that Paul makes clear, is that you can't follow Jesus and anything else. The, The only way to experience the joy and the fulfillment that Paul talks about here is if Jesus becomes our only goal, knowing Jesus becomes our only pursuit. That's why I do believe this season is a gift. Because in this season, many of the things that we are used to pursue in addition to Jesus, they've been stripped away from us. We we can't pursue them anymore. And actually, that is good news. Because it frees us up. It frees us up to pursue Jesus and him alone. But here's the deal, okay? The only way that this season will end up being a gift is if we refuse to fill the loss that we've experienced in this season with other things. If we refuse to fill the hole that we have in this season with things that cannot fill it. And so that's why, here's my question to all of you in this, okay? My question is this. What are we trying to fill our lives with right now that only can be filled with the pursuit of Jesus? What are we trying to fill our lives with right now that only can be fulfilled with the pursuit of knowing Jesus? Or asked another way, is there anything in your life right now that you're tempted to turn to instead of turning to Jesus? Is there anything in your life right now that you're tempted to turn to instead of turning to Jesus? Maybe it is alcohol. Maybe it is overindulgence. Maybe it is endless hours of cable news and all the rage and anger that comes with that, whatever it may be. But is there anything in your life right now that you're tempted to turn to instead of turning to Jesus? And if you realize that there is something, I want you to consider something. And that is maybe this week, 
Maybe this week we decide to take a break from whatever it is. Maybe this week we, we say, I, I'm going to turn off cable news for a week. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to go to alcohol this week. I'm not going to have that glass of wine every night. This week, I'm, I'm going to say no to another late night internet shopping spree. I'm going to resist unnecessary purchases right now. And instead of turning to those things, we, we turn to Jesus. Instead of turning to alcohol, we turn to prayer. Instead of turning to mindless cable news, we turn to God's word. Instead of turning to overindulgence, we turn to worship. In other words, in, instead of turning to a banana in a jar, we turn to Jesus. There is only one thing that when we pursue it, we're going to find out that it's even better than we thought, and that is Jesus. And so, what can we let go of this week so that we can grab on to Jesus? You know, I know I probably sound like a broken record, brothers and sisters, but times are tough. And they will be, continue to be tough, at least for the foreseeable future. But I really believe that in this difficult season, God has given us what we need, not just to survive, but to thrive. And that is because God has given us Jesus. This week, I pray that we discover in new ways the incredible gift that Jesus is. Will you pray with me? Father, um, we come before you right now, Lord, and Father, I, I believe Paul's words in Philippians, God. I believe the fact that knowing Jesus is the greatest pursuit that we can have in this life. And it's when we remove everything else that gets in the way and we just pursue knowing Jesus himself, knowing him personally, God, that we experience a joy and a satisfaction and a fulfillment no matter what is going on in our lives. And so, God, I know that there are some things that get in the way of, of knowing Jesus and pursuing him. And, Father, I pray right now that you would bring to mind, if there is anything in any of the, the lives of the people who are watching right now, one of those things, Father, and that you would give them the courage and the strength to say, hey, this week, no. I'm not going to do that so I can turn instead to what Jesus offers me. Because truly, he is the only thing that can fulfill and satisfy in this life. I believe that with my whole heart, God. And so, Father, we just thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, not just to die on the cross, but also giving us to him as, as, a, as a personal relationship that we can have, someone that we can know, God. And, Father, I pray for each and every one of us, we would make him our aim, and we would make him our goal. We love you so much, Father. We thank you so much, God. And, Father, we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.